0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. This summer, we've had the privilege of going through the book of Genesis and looking at the lives of different uh, men and women throughout that book, and we've been realizing that God throughout all of their lives is on the move. It's been a great summer for me to remember and to realize and recognize the fact that God is on the move throughout all their lives and all the situations that they face. This is the last week that we're doing on God is on the move, but it's not because God is no longer on the move. It's not one of those things. Remember back in the summer of 2017 when God was on the move? That was awesome, right? It's not that. It's not because he stopped being on the move. We are moving on to other things to study as well. But remember, never forget, God is on the move. It's been a great reminder for me. We are at the end of our brief overview of Genesis and I wanna let you know that there's a number of things that I've been reminded of during the time that we've been looking at this book. I'm gonna remind you of those. We're we're gonna eventually look into the last five chapters of Genesis. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 45 if you would and we're going to pick up where, sort of where we left off last Sunday. But a number of things that I have been reminded of, maybe even learned, this last summer this summer in this going through the series and I've loved that uh, Pastor Donald and Pastor Dave and and we've had a visitor come and speak as well it's just been great to have all those come and and remind us about how God has been on the move and I've recognized that life doesn't always go as we expect there are always um, surprises there are always things for which we never planned And it's good for us to remember as we look in this book of Genesis and see, for each one, their life didn't go as they expected. Their life didn't necessarily go as they planned. Not all things happen just according to the way that they designed things. And so life doesn't always go as we expect. I I thought it was also uh, remarkable for me to recognize and realize that we don't always see things from God's perspective. We don't have God's perspective. We can't have God's perspective but we can have faith knowing that he has an overall view, a perspective that we cannot have and we can have trust in him. And then another thing that I've learned or been reminded of that there is a reason for the movement of the hand of God. When God moves, he moves for a reason. When God moves, he moves with purpose. And we've seen that in the lives of all those that we've been studying over the summer. We've, got, we've seen God moving in the lives of the ones that we've been studying, of Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel, and Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And last week, we started looking at Joseph. And we're going to finish looking at Joseph this week. We saw last week that there were a number of things in his life that he never saw coming. He never saw them coming. He was taken by his brothers and sold into slavery. He found himself eventually in a household and then in prison. And then he went from prison to the palace and the second in command of all of Egypt. None of those things could he have planned. None of those things could he have written down in his little schedule for his life. This is what my life's gonna look like. All of those things were unplanned, unexpected. Things that he never saw coming. Uh, I, was, I find it interesting, almost every time that I preach on that Sunday morning, God gives me a little bit of a reminder as though I don't have enough illustrations in my sermon, he gives me one more that morning. Uh, this morning, I was out in back of our, at the back of our house and just checking on things, and I, always, I checked at our, our little pool as well, and uh, I just always wanted to see what the temperature is and all of those kinds of things, and I just checked on things, and I looked at a little fuzzy thing there, and I thought, I don't remember putting a fuzzy thing in the pool, uh, so I just... Went inched up to it a little bit and I pulled back the little, the little, the little blanket and I looked and there's a skunk in there. I, I told my wife I have a surprise for her in the sermon today, that, that's our surprise. <laughs> not what she was expecting, I think. Um, but, so that's not what I was expecting, not a, but my mind immediately went to something. I, I immediately, this skunk, I thought, is in the circus and he's just holding his breath because I don't really have time to deal with any other situation, so I'm just gonna say that that's what happened and I'm gonna move on to something else because I've got a busy morning morning planned. And I thought, so Liz, I've got a surprise for you. We have a, a circus skunk in our pool uh, and he's holding his breath and we'll deal with, if, there's, if that's not right, then we'll deal with that uh, another time. Um, I just found it interesting that we've got those things in our lives that we don't plan for. Uh, there are things uh, unexpected things that happened. Uh, we do our best to do what we can and plan what we can. Uh, for those of you who were involved yesterday with the clothing drive, or even Friday with the clothing drive, an incredible day yesterday. Uh, we just had, um, oh, between three and 400 backpacks were given away to, to young students who are going back to school, a big provision for a number of our, stu- hundreds of our students here in Sarnia, and it was just a privilege to be able to do that as well. We had uh, served breakfast to over 400 people. Uh, we provided uh, through the generous donations of many of you and other people in our community, uh, some clothing and household items, just an amazing time. And one of the most amazing times is the fact that so many of our volunteers stayed to clean up and it was just amazing to work as a team together. Uh, You know, some of those things were planned and some of them go as well or even better than planned. But there's other times and other situations where things don't go the way we planned or things that happen are not things that we planned. And here's what Joseph is going through. Last week we saw that he was taken by his brother, sold into slavery, went to prison, eventually he's in the palace. And there's a whole story of how his family is going through the same famine that the rest of the, that whole part of the world is going through and they find out in here that there's food in Egypt and and eventually they go to to, uh, Egypt to see if they can seek some food. And when we look at these uh, items, the things that happened throughout this morning, we're gonna look at the fact that there is a picture of Jesus in the life of Joseph. We saw, we've heard many times already this summer that when we hear and read about the story of uh, Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel or Noah, all of those, when we read about them, it's not ultimately about them. It's ultimately about Jesus. For Adam and Eve, the, the end of the garden isn't the end of the story for them. The end of the garden marked the beginning of redemption, which points to Jesus. There's a, a, every time, every place as we look in God's word, it seems as though God's word, God in his word always points to his son. And it seems as though we're gonna be able to see that even this morning. So as we look in uh, Genesis chapter 45, we're gonna see these pictures of Jesus. We're gonna see pictures of redemption and salvation and grace and forgiveness and provision. So Joseph was betrayed. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, those closest to him. Joseph was sold as a slave. And we see in chapter 45, finally they are getting together. The brothers are finally coming and asking for food, and Joseph knows who they are. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. He's been out of their mind. They thought he was long gone, probably even dead by now. Who knows where he is? And yet, here he is standing before them, and they don't realize it yet. And in uh, Genesis 45, starting in verse three, it says, then Joseph said to his brothers, imagine this moment that all of the chapters, a few chapters before this have been leading up to, where finally those brothers are coming and they're standing before the second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. They don't know that it's their brother that they betrayed, that they sold. So here he is, and this is what he says, and it's what it says in verse three. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Imagine what those three words would have as far as impact with those brothers. They probably hadn't spoken that word, that name for a long time. This was Joseph, the one who was their father's favorite, but they hated and got rid of. And now all of a sudden, he's in a position of ultimate power, and he discloses his identity to those brothers. He says, I am Joseph. And then he asks, is my father alive? Imagine what the response is, but look what, and it says what their response is. It says, "But their brothers could not answer him." It's one of those classics when Joseph says, "I am Joseph. Is my brother alive?" And the brothers are just like, uh, 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 uh. they just have no idea what to say. And it says that they could not answer him, for they were. My version says they were dismayed. I think that's a little light word, don't you think? That they it says that they were dismayed at his presence. And then it says in verse four, Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And I picture them all shuffling as, you know, let's all stay together, shuffling a little closer to Joseph as he has commanded them, invited them to come closer. And then he says again, I am your brother Joseph who you sold into Egypt. He identified himself and he recalled the situation. When they first heard, the first time that he said, I'm Joseph, they might have thought, some of those brothers might have thought, oh boy, I wonder if we're, if we're gonna revisit that whole last time we saw each other thing. <laughs> you know, where we sold him into slavery and all that stuff. I wonder if he's gonna bring that up, right? And he does, he brings it up, and they're, th- they're thinking, oh great, you had to bring that up. Now we've got to, it's a it's funny how things in life that we suppress, that we put away, that we try not to talk about, sometimes they just pop up. Uh, in unexpected times and uh, unexpected situations, and here's this thing popping up to those brothers. And to me, I ask the question, what would Joseph do? Would he avenge or would he forgive? Certainly he was in the position, certainly he had the power to avenge, and no one would question him. And yet the question remains, would he do that? Would he avenge or would he forgive? Here we see a picture of Jesus in the picture of forgiveness. Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, paying the price for my sin, for the sin of the whole world, as he was there, he looked around at the crowd who had physically placed them there, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus purchased forgiveness for anyone who would believe. And as uh, Pastor Donald, I think, said last week, as Jesus said, it is finished, he also said, you are free. Amazing thing to be able to see. And now we look in verse five. Here's Joseph's response. As the brothers are trembling, thinking, what are they gonna do? What is he gonna do? What is he going to say? He says, now, do not be grieved or be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And four, this is amazing, this is the first time that he says this out loud. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. First, he acknowledges the situation. He said, you sold me here. But then he says, but God is the one who sent me here. And he also said that there was a purpose. He sent me before you to preserve life. There may have been a collective exhale. Oh, he's here to preserve life. I think I'm a little safer now than I thought I was 20 seconds ago. Amazing picture of Jesus, the idea of being sent by God. Joseph said that he was sent there by God. Now, he didn't see that at first. Recognize that the situations in your life are unexplainable. Sometimes we, we don't see the reason behind it. Many times, we have questions about why. And we see into, in Joseph's life that there are times when we can see. At least we get to the point where we can, we can recognize that those things happened. Yes, I was sold into slavery. Yes, I didn't know where I was going. I was, uh, I was innocent and yet accused and placed in prison. I went through all of those difficult things. And he somehow got to the point where he could say, God's the one who brought me here. And he could also say, God's the one who brought me here so I could provide for you, the very ones who betrayed me. A picture of Jesus being sent. First John 4, 9 says, God, is, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son. Look in verse 7 again. It says, God sent me before you, as he talks to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. He was Pharaoh's number one person. He was the second in command of the entire nation. It says that he's been a counselor in a sense of being he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. It seems as though seeing the providence of God, the unseen hand of God is the key to Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers. Once Joseph says in verse four that they sold him as a slave in Egypt. Once he says that in verse four. But three times, in verse five and in verse seven and in verse eight, he says, and he recognized and clarified that it was really God who sent him to Egypt. So he's not covering up and saying, no, no, you guys didn't do anything bad. He says, yes, you did this, but even in spite of that was the invisible, unseen, mighty hand of God bring, Excuse me, bringing me here. A picture, again, of Jesus who was sent to save, sent to deliver, sent to provide. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, to seek and to save the lost. Amazing. And Joseph goes on in verse 9. He says, hurry, go tell dad. Go back to where home is. Go up to my father and and say to him, my version says, thus says your son Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me. And down in verse uh, 11 it says, there I will also provide for you. Amazing. Amazing. And so they went up from Egypt. Down in verse 26, they told their father. Imagine this, there's a long trip. We're going back to tell dad that Joseph is alive. For Joseph, it's a happy way, it's a happy news. It's it's good news. But for the brothers, imagine them trying to figure out what are we gonna do, how are we gonna put this? What are we gonna say to dad? because what we're going to say to dad is very different from what we told him many, many years ago. Remember when they sold him into slavery, when they hated him? Well, they took his coat, and if you remember, they tore it, and they they roughed it all up, and they dipped it in goat's blood, and they didn't say anything to their dad, but they just said, we found this. Here, they just presented their dad with the coat. And they allowed their father to draw his own conclusions that he had been attacked and killed by a wild animal. And Joseph dealt with the loss of his brother. And now they are tasked by that same brother, as Joseph, uh, Joseph he's, they're tasked with telling their father not just that he was alive, but they're gonna have to give a little bit of the backstory, aren't they? They're not just gonna say, oh, remember that coat? Turns out that wasn't quite right. He's alive, so let's just pack up and go, okay? Can we just do that? And let's uh, let's talk about other stuff around, you know, on the way there, all that. Imagine how they had to present this to their father. It says they told him, in verse uh, 26, I think it is, they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed, he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And it said, but he, the father, was stunned, and he did not believe them. He didn't believe what they said. This was contrary to what they had told him about Joseph all those years ago, and if you wanna read what they had done in chapter 37, you can read all about it, but in verse verse 27 of this chapter, it said, "'When they told him all the words of Joseph "'that he had spoken to them, "'and when he saw the father saw that the wagons "'that Joseph had sent, then Joseph, Joseph revived.'" And eventually Jacob moves to Egypt and the family moves to Egypt. They settle in that land called Goshen. Chapter 47 talks about how they settled in that land and how God provided for that whole nation in that particular way. And verse 11 of chapter 47, if you want to skip ahead to chapter 47, verse 11 says, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. Joseph provided, verse 12, for his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Amazing, and that would be an amazing end to the story. How God provided for that small nation through that difficult time of the famine. And he even used the terrible treachery of those brothers to do all that. Imagine, that's God on the move. That's God's mighty, invisible hand, even through loss. But that's not the end of the story. In chapter 50, the father dies. And Joseph, it says, In verse one, fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And verse two, Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians in Egypt to embalm his father. And so the physicians did that. Skip down to verse 15, the, it says the jo- Joseph's brothers were still a little bit concerned with the situation. Imagine how long this difficult ordeal and, uh, and the fact that they betrayed their brother and then were found out all those years ago, and yet even all, in all of that, their brother provided for him, for all of them. But then dad dies, and the brothers think, does this change everything? Is Joseph gonna deal with us a little differently now that dad's gone? It says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? The what if of life. The what if of life. What if this thing happened? In fact, they're saying, what if we get what we deserve? What if he pays us back for all the wrong that we did to him? They're saying, what if we get what we deserve? What's gonna happen? And we sometimes in our lives are struggling with the what if. Sometimes it's the what if we uh, have to go through the ramifications of the wrong things and the terrible th- choices that we've made. What if that happens? Sometimes it's the what if some terrible thing happens that we don't even know about. The what ifs of life and they say, what if Joseph bears a grudge? What if he's just sort of waiting until dad goes? And then he's going to follow through with the plan that he maybe has been hatching for all these years, decades, when he has a chance to get back at us. What if he's going to repay us for all the wrong which we did to him? And so Joseph's brothers do what many people do, try to orchestrate the situation to their benefit. They take matters into their own hands and try to massage the situation as best they can. And I think it's very interesting in verse 16 of that last chapter, it says, so they sent a message to Joseph. They sent a message. They didn't go to him. They sent him a message. And it said, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph. So what they're saying is, they're making up this story, and they're saying, dad told us before he died to tell you something after he died. If it was Joseph, you'd sort of think, well, Dad lives here, why didn't he just tell me himself? Well, they didn't think through all those details, they didn't have much time, they sent this message and they said, Dad wanted us to tell you something after he died, and here's the message. Thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and the sin uh, for the, the, the sin that they did to you, and now please forgive the transgression of the servants and the God of your father. Uh, it's, really, they just, it's really two things they've asked, and it's the same thing twice. Please forgive, please forgive. But it's not us forgiving, it's Dad. Dad told you, Dad's message, and it was. You know, it's odd that we're the ones telling you this, but um, Dad told you that you're supposed to forgive us. Taking matters into their own hands. Amazing. Joseph's response again, showing that he really had forgiven. All those years ago, 17 years, Jacob was living down in Egypt. 17 years pass after he had told his brothers that he had forgiven them and, he was, and that it was God that sent him there to provide and to forgive. 17 years go by and the brothers are still concerned about what the situation really is. And it says in verse 17, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we're your servants. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? He says, I'm not God. I'm not the one that's going to exact any type of punishment. I'm not in God's place. He was ruler in the land, although he recognized it was still God who was sovereign. And he said to them, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Imagine the perspective that Joseph has achieved. The very thing, probably the most traumatic thing that ever happened to him in his life. His own brothers betraying him, selling him into a life of slavery and having nothing more to do with him. That very event that could have haunted him for years. He allowed God to take over. He allowed... God to work in his own heart so that he could forgive, not bear any ill will, not bear a grudge, not looking for an opportunity to get back. That's so hard for us to do. You know, many of us have been wronged in many ways. And sometimes we take a, a, an active role in revenge. If your neighbor did something, then you want to do something back to your neighbor. Or if your coworker did something, then you want to do something back to them. Or if someone in your family did something, you want to, you want to get even. We did that when we were growing up, right? As kids, we kind of learned that. For us, we learned that in the backseat of the car. We had three, there was three boys, and no matter how big the car was, the backseat was not big enough for the three of us when we were driving down to Florida. And so we had to make up our own rules, right? You know, we had these invisible lines that we kind of sort of pushed into the, dent, dented into these little, the plush seats that we had. You know, this is my space. Do not go across this line. And if you go across this line, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> you know, and somebody, and my brother, I'll say my brother because you know, he's not here, so I can blame him. Um, my brother would sort of, he just loved to push, push, push. He would do the craziest things just to get under our skin. I remember one time, or one, many times, I wish it was only one. One time we were, I, was, I was actually studying for something in my room in high school. I was studying for a test coming up, and I have good peripheral vision. I could see that my brother was, had opened the door to my room and was just standing there with his face sort of stuck in, and I knew he was doing it just to bug me. So I thought, I'm just gonna ignore him. And then minutes went by. My brother, when he's got an idea, he will not let it go, right? And he's just there and he's just standing there and standing there and pretty soon inside, I'm getting angrier and angrier and I'm thinking, he's just so, he bothers me so much when he wants to, right? And then eventually I said, I would just turn around and say, close the door! And he would just laugh and run away right but we just have those things like so he would so he, here we are in the back seat of the car and the long drive down to florida and he's going across my line across i mean a clearly defined line there's no question about what he's doing and that he's doing it purposefully right and so i'd have to do i'm a man of my word even when i'm young i had to punch him So we always punch in the shoulder, so I gave him a punch in the shoulder. What does, a, what does a brother do when their younger brother punches him? He punches back with more force. That's, how, that's what revenge, it's a perfect picture of revenge. We wanna do what was done to us and then a little more so they can learn a lesson. Right? So, what does the younger brother do to the older brother when he punches him a little harder than he got? Well, I owe him a little, plus he needs to learn a lesson as well. And so it just gets to be a slug match. And then eventually, you know, mom and dad threaten to leave us in Kentucky somewhere on the side of the road or, you know, whatever it is. And we kind of get control back again and we start drawing our lines all over, right? It's amazing how we, we, don't, we just go back to the very thing that started the problem in the first place. Now here, that's the idea of what revenge is like. And Joseph could have been planning his for decades, and yet when he had the opportunity, he forgave. And even though his brothers were trying to drum up some lame excuse that he should forgive, he had already done it, because he had already come to the conclusion that God was in control. He recognized that his brothers meant something for evil, but he said in the same, at the same time, God's hand was moving and he took what was meant for evil and he bent it for good. Somehow, God can do that. Somehow, God does that over and over. We see it throughout scripture that he does it over and over the very things that was meant for evil, God turns and uses for good. Even when it comes to the death of his son, those who wanted to have nothing more to do with him, they wanted to get rid of Jesus to the point where they were willing to take his life and they, and they sacrificed and they, they killed him. God used that, what man meant for evil, and turned it into the possibility of salvation for the entire world. Here it says in this verse, verse 20, that you meant for evil against me. God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph got to the point where in his life he could see the hand of God. What's amazing is that God turns things around. What one person meant for evil, he can take it and use it for good. He's not bound or trapped by the events that we feel bind and trap us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has the ability to act on all of that and all of it is predicated on his great love for us. Amazing what God has done for us. A picture of Jesus again with mercy and with grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse three said, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'who according to his great mercy "'has caused us to be born again to a living hope "'through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.'" Amazing. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. What a provision he has made for us. And so let's never forget At the end of the story where it says that Joseph actually comforted his brothers. Joseph actually, it says in verse 21, that he spoke kindly to them and comforted them. Amazing. And yet, it all is supposed to point us to Jesus. That picture that we've seen. Number one, that God is in control, God is on the move. Not that bad things don't happen, not that evil people don't do evil things, but even in spite of all of that, God can somehow turn things around. God can take those things and use them for his own purpose. A picture we've seen of redemption in the life of Joseph and a picture of Jesus, a picture of salvation, a picture of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, and even provision. What a mighty God we have, what a mighty God we serve. And regardless of where we say it or not, whether we put these signs and give the tires back to the people who so graciously loaned them to us, they don't fit my car, so we're giving them back. But the sign won't be here anymore, but it doesn't mean the fact that the truth isn't still there, God is on the move. Let's pray together. Lord, you are truly a good God, a great God, a gracious and kind and loving God, and yet a powerful God with a plan for redemption and for salvation and the ability to turn things around, even in our lives, to take the tragedy, to take the trial and turn it into the thing that you want it to do to lead to the salvation and the provision for many. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for being such a great and kind and loving and uh, gracious God to us. I pray that we will recognize that you will open our eyes, that you will show us that you still are the God who is on the move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.